us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey, and it is now time for more of the last comic shop. That is right. We are opening up the shop to newbies to help them find their way underneath the great comic book tent. And we're keeping the lights on for the oldies that are going to get the references and illusions that we're talking about today. Because some of these things are about beefs from many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> no, that beef's fresh. That beef's None of them right are there. Dave Thomas beef, though, because we already <laughs> did the best hamburger poll. That's right. <laughs> Where's the beef? They don't cut any corners. You know what you always win with the last comic shop? The host with the most, Andy Larson. And you get these great door prizes, which are Jay Scott and Chad Smith. That's what you win. You win us every week. You get to listen to us talk about comics. And this week, it's all about the comic, kind of about the comic book industry. There's been a lot of books recently that have been kind of sort of like that. We, you know, Hey Kids Comics and and now this week's book, which is actually on this week's show because of the fans. That's right. It's won a poll a long time ago, right after the Eisner's. Uh, J.A. put out like four of the Eisner Award winners from 2023 and said, fans, which one should we read? And Ducks Two Years in the Oil Sands came close, but this one eked it out. It was Public Domain by Chip Serdesky. Thank now, you, the fans, as I'm much more interested in the comic industry than I am. Ducks and pollution and sad stories. Hey, I promised J.A. that because it was the runner-up, it would also be covered on The Last Couch. It's about oil. (laughs) No, no, it's not about oil. It's about oil, A. Oh. Besides, Dallas. Dallas was one of the biggest, you know, things ever. And that was about oil. Everything's about oil now. You mean, no, that's about shooting JR. <laughs> Take that, JR. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to get uh, Public Domain by Chip Zardesky in just a little bit. But talking about polls. I thought it was a great opportunity to take this week's show and do another poll recap. Yes, as you may or may not know, but hopefully you do because you're voting on them every week over at the last comic shop on Twitter slash X or whatever they call it now. Put these polls out so that everybody can vote on them every single week. And so periodically we like to come on the show and recap them. So, in any case, J.A. has five polls. Uh, they're a little bit out of order because we've got one poll that I thought we should have done last week, but we just didn't get to it. But regardless, we've got five polls, J.A. So, uh, without further ado, poll master, what is the first poll on this week's show? Uh, what is your favorite way to store comic books? Ooh. Is it short boxes? Is it long boxes? Is it slabs? Or is it just in a giant pile in the corner? <laughs> Which got a lot of votes. I'm really happy about that. It was truly the best pick. It was the most realistic pick. I'll say that much. I don't know if I keep mine in a big pile like a bunch of dirty laundry, but I do have a stack. I don't know any comic book fan that doesn't have a read pile. That's why we call it a read pile on this week's show. I mean, Chad, you have a read pile like a stack of comics, right? Oh my goodness, yeah. And I have been meaning to like reorganize my books in the basement since we got everything back. And so I put them in real nice the first time. And then I'm like, oh, I need to reorganize them. 
It's all a giant, giant stack. It's a mess. It's so intimidating. Just send help. So people that so, know the alphabet and uh, so did comic you, book families. Did you answer truthfully and say pile of comics in the corner, or did you say long boxes or whatever? No, I, I probably went short boxes because long boxes are too long. And my favorite thing in recent memory, even though uh, the quality level probably not as high as your like super plastic box, which you can find at BCW Supplies using our code LCSPOD for 10% off. But they make these comic boxes with the printed images and they're like little mini comic posters. And so like I'll have that as my background wall, just all these different comic images. So that's my favorite. J.A., your pick? I went with a uh, giant pile in the corner because that's <laughs> how that's how I store my omnibuy. All right. And you're honest. Yes, and <laughs> yeah. you're honest. I'm lying to myself as well. I uh, I said short boxes too because I, I am also in denial. Because when I think of big stack in the corner, that's all I think of is dirty sweat socks. Like that's not how I keep my comics. I keep them in a nice stack. They're way out of order. I, I should organize them, but I don't. But that didn't win. No, no. Short boxes won by 40%. The heartening aspect was at least our fans, none of them store their comics in slabs. Mm. That's a win for the people who read comic books as oh. opposed to the ones who, who put them away in coffins. Well, Speculators. Uh, speculators. I, I will say in defense of the folks with the slab, I've been starting to come around to it just a little bit. That if you truly have, like, I don't know, an Amazing Fantasy 15, like, I'm not going to read that. Like, I'm going to read it in my Tation book or whatever. I'm, I'm going to read the story there. I'm not going to read it in my Amazing. So I might as well slab it. I might as well put it behind something and put it away because I'm not really going to read it. So I, I, I'm starting to come around and understand their, their thought process. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, but I feel like those should be the exception, not the rule. I own one slab book, and I bought it by accident. I <laughs> a different slab book. But no, like if it's if something super special, I understand it. But it's cringy for me, the folks that are like getting a, a brand new modern book. Yes. They're like, oh, this is the first appearance of Wolverine's daughter's second cousin. <laughs> And it's a nine eight, and I, oh, I got twelve of them slabbed. Like, okay, yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. Uh, Ja, what was our second poll? Who is your favorite Roy Thomas character? Ooh, going along There's with our a- Roy Thomas interview, which is yes. still available. Lastcomicshoppodcast.com. If you haven't listened to it, great interview. And there were a lot of good choices, so it was hard to narrow down to four. But uh, the four w- we narrowed the poll down to was Wolverine, Vision, Red Sonia, or Luke Cage. Ooh. Well, let's start off with you, sir. I mean, I think I know who you voted for, but I went with Red Sonia. Come on. <laughs> Only one person to wear chain mail in the wintertime <laughs> on a bikini. Or in the summertime. Yeah, or in the summertime. Anytime. Imagine the chafing. Think of the rust. I mean, how many times do you see her I, wait, on a I'm cover, sure stained, like, in the middle of a swamp, throwing her hair back? I mean, I will be very honest. Uh, for as much uh, sex appeal as both Red Sonia and Conan have, boy... I'm sure they smell. They have to smell awful. Bathe in blood and kill and sweat and dirt. So smell just like rank old meat. 
No good. No good. Pork chop left out in the sun. Whew. <laughs> okay. Chad, who was your pick? So, yeah, I, this was a tough one for me because I, as much as I, I appreciate that Roy Thomas was involved in the creation of Wolverine, I don't picture him as a, a Wolverine guy. Okay. You know, like uh, that's more Len Wein or, you know, uh, even a Larry Hama had more of an impact on Wolverine in my head. Chris Claremont, all those guys. And Luke Cage, I also don't associate Roy Thomas as much with Luke Cage. Like that's Tony Isabella. Uh, I don't know. Even Bendis with Luke Cage. But so I went with the vision. And you were in the winning group because the vision took it home with 28% of the vote. Uh, Wolverine, Red Sonia, Luke Cage all splitting at 24%. What I want to know, Roy Thomas, did he come up with Sweet Christmas? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? When I think of Luke Cage, it's, it's always the Power Man and Iron Fist that came later. And you know who wrote that was Joe Duffy because she wrote all that stuff. So any case, J.A., what was poll number three? Next manga that we should read. This ran when we were covering One Piece. The four choices were Naruto, My Hero Academia, Attack on Titan, or Go-Go 13. There was an NES game for Golga 13. I remember that, and I wanted to play it, uh, but they never had it at the farm war, which is where <laughs> I rented a lot of my video games. So I never got to play it, but I was always intrigued. That's uh, That was my vote. I didn't care. <laughs> I guess I only cared in so much to the fact that whoever won, we probably will end up reading it at some point. So <laughs> any of these four. Okay. Uh, Chad, what was your pick? Similar to J.A., I did not have a horse in this race. But since we were talking about races, we are talking about running. Uh, I am aware of the Naruto run. Oh, yeah. That is Where people thing. just put their heads down and run. Their arms are... <laughs> Throw their arms back. Yeah, they're back, and they, they just run. <laughs> uh, and so I, there's a part of me that wants to know, what, what the hell is that about? Okay. So, uh, so Naruto... <laughs> I, I honestly, after we did the One Piece show, I thought that you would have uh, got your son involved with that and saw what would he, what would he wanted to read next because he he did end up reading all of One Piece, right? Yeah, I was, was the first book that my kid was ever excited to like. Hey, Dad, can I read that? So within a week, he was done with those. The next week, it escalated. We got up to like twenty three, twenty four, and then. Uh, Every two weeks after that, he was making me get him these box sets with like 20 books at a time. Within a month, he had read all of the 103 volumes of One Piece. Wow. Like, I'm still on volume 12. Okay. Like, that's thawed out a little bit and had to, had to find some other stuff to read. But, like, he's watched the anime. We've watched the Netflix show. The Netflix show's a blast. But no, like he's gone all the way through it, and and I'm like, hey, is there anything else you want to read? And I even tried to give him the like the Spider-Man uh, manga that I had picked up and the Deadpool ones. He's like, oh, no, no thanks. <laughs> That's all I wanted was just that one piece. He's moved on. Well, you know, I give one... no shits about Naruto. <laughs> and I don't think everybody else gave no shits about Naruto either, because that didn't win, J.A. Right? No, that came in fourth at twelve percent. Golgol thirteen. Yeah, like that's what we're going to be reading with 38% of the vote. Well, that will make oh. Ethan happy because Ethan has always wanted to read that on this particular show. And some other folks had been commenting, again, similar to me, how we should be embracing manga's roots. 
by going back and reading an older series that maybe some newer manga fans don't know about. Any case, um, poll number four. Oddball crossovers. I did some research on this with the Google machine. These are real crossovers that happened. Punisher and Archie. Mm, I've heard of that one. Um, Star Trek and the X-Men. Okay. Batman and the Beatles. That's bullshit. I don't believe it. <laughs> or Howard and Destroyer Duck. Now, yes. is that the one where uh, Steve Gerber basically got Howard back? Yes. The one where he got Howard back and he was able to bring his newer creations in to the same storyline. So he he brought Destroyer Duck in and, and it kind of actually uh, goes along with what we will be talking about in public domain. Sort of creators losing rights to characters that they created and right. then, you know, getting back a bit of it later on in life. Trick the publishers by doing a switcheroo in a book while they're not paying attention. (laughs) There you go. go. And the Batman and the Beatles, it wasn't actually the beat. I mean, they were the Beatles. You see the drawings, you see the characters, but uh, for legal reasons, it wasn't the Beatles, but it was very much during this whole, where is Paul? Is Paul dead? Yeah. During the 1970s. Yes. Destroying the needles on their record players by running the records backwards. <laughs> number nine. Number but neither nine, of those ones won, right? Like neither Destroyer Duck and Howard the Duck won. Not not Beatles and Batman, although I voted for that one. Which one did win? Well, I mean, when you have Star Trek and the X-Men, that's always going to win. Oh. It's like two giant piles of cocaine in front of the <laughs> Montana. Oh, my goodness. To add to all that fun, isn't it Mark Silvestri on art on that one? It's Mark Silvestri. Ooh. Is this, is this with man. Kirk or is it with Picard? Yeah, it's with Kirk. It's with oh, Kirk. Good gravy. Maybe I should read this. The quick 10 cent synopsis. When the crew of the original Enterprise discover an alien ship which has traveled through a rift in space and time, it doesn't take long for a firefight to ensue. The ship is destroyed, but not before its crew, the X-Men, are beamed over to the Enterprise. Does Kirk put the moves on Storm like any other? You know it. You know he's got to come on board the ship. And there were two follow-ups. Uh, the X-Men meet the next generation in one of them. And there was a novel called Planet X. Hey, if if we got a chance to be on live stream for The Cure next year, I guess we have our book. There we go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Our fifth and final poll is probably the biggest one of this week's show. Now, last week it was Halloween. And I should have done this on last week's show, but we got busy doing it. So now it is time to talk about who won the Great Candy Wars of 2023. That's right. Several weeks back, we had a tournament of the best Halloween candies. It came down to a final four. And then we put that final four out for voters on our social media. And now we have the winner. So whose Halloween treat is the best? Uh, Just to recap, what were the four, J.A.? Reese's peanut butter cups, uh, but not the mini cups, the proper Reese's peanut butter cup. Kit Kats, again, are you getting a two block Kit Kat, a one block Kit Kat, which is crap? <laughs> or is it a proper Kit Kat? I will bar? say, the two block Kit Kat translates just as well as the four in my mind. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. suffer like Snickers. When you get the mini Snickers, you're like, oh. <laughs> 
the third choice was Kids Mix. Yes. Yuck. That's like Dum Dums and butterscotch candy and toffees and all kinds of great Brahms. Brams, whatever you call it. You're right with Dum Dums. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) And uh, final was Sour Patch Kids. Yeah. Which I didn't even know they make anymore. Do they still make that? Oh, yeah. That's my go-to movie treat. Like, I don't even get popcorn anymore. I just smuggle in Sour Patch Kids, and that's that's all I need to keep myself going for three-hour-long movie slogs. I thought if you're not doing the popcorn, you got to do the Juji Fruits. No, those are terrible. At this age? Yeah. You're going to need a dental follow-up appointment for every movie. (laughs) Although I have heard that the true treat is to get hot buttered popcorn and then get, what are the snow caps? And dump snow caps on top of it? We had a friend, Lindsay Fahey, who used to be on the show. She used to love that. I love Lindsay Fahey, but that was an abomination. Anyway, (laughs) thank (laughs) you. But what one? There were three contenders, and then there was the clear favorite, which is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I mean, nothing came close. No, it's never in doubt. <laughs> it is true. They 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 came in at a heavy favorite, number one, and the fans voted. I mean, it's chocolate and peanut butter. Like, even I had to vote for that. Any case, that was the winner of the candy poll. Did you agree? Did you not agree? Uh, next time we do a candy poll, you should vote. In fact, you better you not vote. vote for kids' books. <laughs> <laughs> you should vote at all of our polls every single week over at Last Comic Shop on X. I'll say it. Any case, coming up right after these commercial breaks is our review of Public Domain. Hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comic Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, Head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code LCSPOD today. That's LCSPOD. Hello, friends. Do you like the 80s and Transformers? We are the Autopod Decepticast, and we started our podcast doing a minute-by-minute breakdown of the 1986 classic animated feature, Transformers the Movie. We've since moved on to an episode-by-episode review of the G1 series and just started Season 3. We have over 180 episodes, so if you're just discovering our show, there's plenty of gold to stuff into your ears. And it is very funny and fantastic. I'm not biased... We are on every podcast aggregator you could possibly stomach. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and our web presence is autopoddecepticast.com. We are at apoddecast on Twitter and all of the things. Autopod Decepticast, friends, for all your animated Transformer needs. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop. It is now time for our Read Pile Review. Yes, that time of every single show where we don't talk about polls or candy or Roy Thomas creations. We talk about comics. But when we give you a comic that you can go to your local comic book shop today and pick up. And in fact, this one is super timely because not only did it win an Eisner this year, it won an Eisner for the best new series. So like, it is super fresh. 
Super freshness. Well, it's not as fresh as you would think. And it's also, uh, when I heard that it won Best New Series, I was really excited for the series. And and it turns out it's a limited series of five issues. And that's it. Is there a promise of more? I don't know. But I was going to say, one of the things about this is we have read this in issue form or trade paperback form for some of us. But this originally appeared in digital form through Substack. Oh. Which was a neat little experiment there. And then Chip Sadarsky, who owned the product and, you know, uh, was the, the writer and the artist and, you know, put all this together. Then he takes it to image and he publishes it in issue form and then trade paperback form and everything else. While it won for best new uh, series, you know, this wasn't its first format. This was the second go round or third go round potentially. Oh, well, why wasn't it up for best uh, graphic album reprints? I guess they hadn't released the graphic at novel trade paperback yet and gave it all fancy covers and things. Yeah, it was the first print. Although I was a little sad. Um, like the issues are really bare bones issues. Like, they're just the pages, and there's only one ad in each one. It was weird to me. Like <laughs> no, letter, no letters page. Yeah, well, no, they did have a um, like a creator's page. Who told us that they had to put the letter pages in because then it could count as a periodical when they put it in the mail? That was Roy Thomas. Oh, okay. There you that go. Was, those were the rules because, uh, yeah, there was different uh, classifications for mail, and so you needed those text pages. It, this is wasn't mailed. It was Substacked. I don't yeah. even know what Substack is, honestly. Is that like a? I, I'm very old. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Substack, and I, I'll be honest, I don't know if it's still a thing, but it's basically uh, subscription-based newsletters. Oh. Or like comic creators, you'd sign up for their Substacks, and then they'd send you like you know X number of pages every so often, or you know here's my newsletter with all this other stuff. But it was basically a digital publishing format to get things out to the fans without having to go through a bigger publisher, without having to go through an image. And, you know, people build up their followings and, you know, it's it's a neat little experiment there. And there were a ton of big name creators on Substack. Yeah, Ke- Kelly Thompson's on Substack. That's yeah, where she yeah. put out a lot of her the first bits of um, Black Cloak, which we covered last year. Yeah, but that's where public domain got its start. So, without further ado, J.A., why don't you hit us up with a 10-cent synopsis of what happens in public domain? So, essentially, this is sort of a, uh, a take on the current state of comic books and the comic book industry versus Hollywood, where uh, this comic book creator, his creation, which he doesn't own, it's owned by a corporation that puts out the comic books, has sold it to Hollywood and and making tons of movies about this guy called The Domain. But the guy, he's living in a house in Queens or something, you know, he's making no money off of any of this. He's just the creator, but he's been shafted. He's got two sons, one who is just uh, happy with life goes around getting odd jobs and, and is, is kind of like the dude dude. He, he, he has a job as a tattoo artist where he is tattooing. <laughs> That's not the Save shark it. I wanted, but I made, I made the shark better. Uh, and then the other son has a gambling problem. If This book does go in to the effects of 
of what can happen if you have a gambling problem. If you have a gambling problem, uh, we would be remiss in saying that you, there is help out there. You can dial the 1-800-GAMBLER in the United States, and there's lots of other help places for you if, if you or someone you know has a problem with gambling, like the son in this book who loses his job and then has to get bailed out by his dad and, and whatnot. So essentially, you've got this broken troubled sitcom-esque family then it turns out that he owns the rights through some contract he 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 did years back and didn't know about and then there's it sets up a legal war between the big corporation and the little guy and blah 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 blah. um and very quickly it's over and it's a very nice story it's a little bit cliche I, I didn't think it was a bad book. I just thought it was <laughs> short, and I wanted to know what happened next. Well, well li- listen, like it, I know we only give like it's supposed to give a ten cent synopsis on the show, but like you, you're missing a huge point, which is like the guy that created Domain ends up going and fighting, and the son, the son that's have gambling problems. Obviously, he's more interested in the money, getting some sort of financial restitution for these crimes against his father and how they took advantage of his creativity or whatever. And lo and behold, the dad's like, no dude, like I settled for a couple thousand dollars, but I got my character back. And now I'm able to make new books featuring my character. And the son's like, I don't want to make comic books. Like he's kind of like, I hate comic books. and I don't want to do that. And I want to be a real writer and all this other hullabaloo stuff and by the end like it finds out that the other son can draw and like there's like this peppy girl that was always wanted to be a comic book writer and she comes out and works with them and i don't know if they don't meet cute the one son and this girl like it's not going to be the sitcom relationship that you think this is listen J.A. said it correctly, that this is cliche from beginning to end i love chip sardesky i love him as a writer i didn't love this book and there were a couple reasons why I didn't. Number one, I hated the fact that the guy that we're talking about that created this domain, he's the artist, right? And yet again, it's the the whole the, the long-standing tale of the artist is the one that gets crapped on by the comic book industry way more than the fancy writer, which they put a character that is a very thinly veiled version of Stan Lee. And I'm sorry. He's got a little punch. (laughs) I I am sorry. I'm tired of hearing this story. Whatever sins Stan Lee inflicted upon the comic book universe, the guy's dead. I'm tired of hearing it. I really am. Like, I'm tired of hearing about how he was the one that came out on top somehow. And all the folks like... Kirby and Ditko, they all got crapped upon by everybody. And there's always like, so Stan Lee's the conniving, scheming one, because that's who this guy is in this book. It really set my teeth on edge. And I and I was surprised that Chip, who's both a writer and an artist, decided to do that. So really, you're surprised that the comic book artist is like, hey, the comic book artists, they should get more creators rights. That was shocking to you. No, it's the fact that like Chip is both a writer and an artist. And I actually know him more as a writer. Like the only other book that I've seen him draw is Sex Criminals. 
I, I don't think you're wrong and that there are a number of people taking shots at Stan Lee and casting him as this terrible human being. And the fact of the matter is, like, we weren't there. We don't know what it was. It turns out these people, if not terrible human beings, were mostly terrible at business. But anyway, Stanley does take his fair or unfair share of abuse, depending on where you fall down on that. But he was not the worker bee. The worker bees were the ones that got hosed. Comic books as a business for generations upon generations, it's a carny business. And uh, the famous Jack Kirby quotes, you know, comics will break your heart, kid. And they've broken a lot of hearts. And yeah. so for Chip Zdarsky, who does you know great creator own stuff, but also does a lot of work for hire at the big two, you're shocked that he's going to be like, yeah, sometimes the big two are acting uh, in ways that aren't creator friendly. Well, no, I don't want to go on record saying that that is what I thought. Okay. What I was saying was I thought I was surprised that Chip I, I don't know if he had a beef with Stan Lee, but the 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 inclusion of this Stan Lee type character, this writer who wanted nothing to do with the artist creator, that and and, and at the end, like this artist creator gets back his creation, creates comic books, and immediately the Stan Lee type character is like, "Oh, that son of a bitch! I'm going to come and make my own comics because like I was the creative force." And da 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 da, and falling falling asleep during the movie premiere while the 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 purest heart artist is munching popcorn. It wasn't so much about the horrible corporations. I agree. All of those scenes where like the, the lawyers and all this stuff and they throw the sun out of the building, all of that was pitch perfect. I didn't mind that. I minded the fact that they created specifically a Stan Lee nemesis type character and made it the writer character. Didn't make it the artist character, made it the writer character. Uh, yeah, but you're saying, so is it Stanley because he's a writer and he's rich while the artist is also a creator and poor? Is that why he's Stanley? I mean, would you have not thought it was Stanley if the guy who was the rich guy was the artist and had they just flopped those two roles? Would you have been okay with I thought it, it would have been. A, I thought it would have been a more interesting tale. But, and I would have, I would have just actually, honestly, just rather had him just be the creator altogether, like the writer artist guy, and and not even had a Stanley character. I just didn't understand why that. It just well, bothered me, guys. You, bothered. you know, you know why it's there though, because that's what happened in real life. Like Stanley was this guy that was taken care of, you know, become publisher emeritus, you know, for better or for worse. And I, like I'm a Stan Stanley fan. I I genuinely am. I think his contributions can't be undersold. And I'm not one of those guys that undersells what he did, but at the same time, he was complicit and screwing over a lot of people. And uh, if you look at some of those artists, you have people like Steve Ditko, who is famous for his personal proclivities and philosophies. And, and then you have someone like Jack Kirby, who wonderful artist, wonderful creative mind, like literally created the modern mythos but was a terrible businessman. This is reflective of stuff that really happened. And you're like, well, they're making this guy the bad guy. He was kind of a bad guy. Well, I just thought... You know, you can't overlook the fact this is put out by Image Comics, which was created in the 90s as a sole expression of mostly Marvel artists who wanted to get away from the system and own their own stuff. What I'm trying to say is I thought that Chip took some narrative shortcuts that I just thought he was better than. 
Honestly, I, maybe that's what I'm trying to say. There, there was that one. There was the whole, I got this son that doesn't care about being a comic book writer, but then ends up being a comic book writer. Like that, come on, that was very cliche. Like you knew where that was going from the start. I'm not going to say that it didn't have witty dialogue. I'm not going to say that it didn't have an engaging story. I just thought that like, I didn't know what the big fuss was about. I don't know why this one best new series. Well, I was looking forward to what was coming next. So you, you talked about how there was setting up between these two domain creators, the artist who's now got the publishing rights to domain stories as long as uh, it, it kind of goes into what we talked about a couple of shows ago about Superman and some of the rights to Superman going into the public domain. So you can write a Superman story, but you can't have the S and you you can have Lois Lane, but you can't have Lex Luthor yet. And, and so it's sort of like that. He's got the domain, but only up to a certain point can he write stories with those characters, the characters he created. So anything new that was created after that, he can't use. So now you've kind of like a branch in the reality. It's even closer to our show on John Burns Elsewhen. Yes, series, which is like glorified fan fiction. But John Byrne, uh, you know, isn't allowed to sell his story. So he gives them away for free on the Internet. In this one, they'd be able to sell. And then the Stan Lee type, if you want, who wants to go back and, well, he can't do that. I own that, too. I'm going to put out better stories than him. And then so it's all it was all setting up for what could have been a very interesting uh, battle between the two. And maybe they come back together at some point and there's, you know, a reckoning. And after the reckoning, there's a, an awareness and, and a, a coming back together, you know, the whole great, but I mean, it just goes to that whole idea that everyone loves a comeback. I was wanting to read that. I was wanting to see what they did with this and where it went. I thought it ended right where it was a nice little bow and then the fun bit about storytelling is then then you start to pick at that bow. So you've got this beautiful present, and then you've got to introduce, you know, it's almost like if this was a movie, we just finished the first act. Everything is great. And now we have to slide a bit and run into more problems and and have to overcome things. Right. Do you need your big obstacle? Like, oh, things are going, you know, they're on their way up, and then all of a sudden the floor has to drop out somewhere. No, I, I'm with you, Jay, where I thought... This was a great first act, and I also agree with you, Andy. This is very tropey. It doesn't feel like a fresh story that Zadarsky's telling here, but I think, especially with somebody like Zadarsky, the devil's in the details. And what Chip Zadarsky is capable of doing, and he does more so here than I've seen him do recently in his Batman or his Daredevil runs, was he manages to tell a story, although like it is tropey, but it has that humor that we picked up whenever he was working with Matt Fraction. It yeah. has that sensibility whenever he was writing Howard the Duck. Where there's there's drama here and there's pathos, but there's also those moments that you just stop and like you take a picture and text it to your buddies. Like the the brother who's the the tattoo artist that just kind of tattoos what he wants. <laughs> He doesn't tattoo what he wants. He tattoos what people bring in, but his interpretation of it. <laughs> he tattoos what he wants. <laughs> but in this time, the tattoo, uh, instead of giving the you know the the Asian uh, style lettering, uh, now it just says white person. Yes, I love that. I love that because I could read it. It was like, oh, she wants Wong, but no, she didn't get Wong. She got white person because that's exactly what 
dumb blonde girls get when they're getting a <laughs> stupid Chinese character tattoo that they have no idea what it means. But yeah, but that's the stuff you want out of Zdarsky. You want those ridiculous moments. Um, and then you mix it in with the family drama of this dad where like the dad is the one who's been hosed by this big company, this big corporation. But the dad doesn't feel like he's been hosed, right? It's the son who's bitter. It's the one son who's, you know, all cranked up about it and feels that his family's been wronged and that everyone's robbed of these opportunities. The dad just wants to make comic books. Yeah. You know, he's happy with his movie tickets and seeing his characters on the screen. He's he's munching that popcorn. He's eating it up. And it goes back to the type of people that get into comic books and why the comic books have always been this carny industry. People that make comics, they, they're there because they want to create. They want to make comics. And they've been treated poorly forever because, you know what? They just want to make comics. And so whenever they're in these bad business deals, oh, that sucks. I'm going to go make some more comics. And, like, I get it. Like, I'm a teacher. That no one goes into education for the money. You know, you get these suckers that are like, oh, we want to help the world. Or we want to teach the children and make the world a better place. And all that (laughs) other garbage that we spew all the time. But it's the same with comic books. You get these people that are these creative minds. And, like, that's what they want to do. That's all the dad wants to do is he gets his rights back. And instead of being like, oh, I can sell this. I can parlay this into that. I can do this. No, he's like, I can make my own comic book. My family's going to make a comic book with me. It's those kind of suckers that populate the comic book business. And that's why we all love it. Right. I, I, I will agree that the, the, it was hard not to root for the dad. Comic book people are, for the most part, the folks that I have met, they are genuinely nice people and they are just creative minds and they like talking about, you know, the creations that they've done and they're very proud of them. And yeah, I, I was I was interested because originally when we were going to record this, Mikey Wood was going to join us and he couldn't. He had to pull out at the last minute. I would have been interested to hear his take on it because he is quite the creator. He's, he's, he's done comic books. He's put stuff out there. He's always trying to get a gig to put more stuff out there. I was wondering what he would have thought of this and, and did it inspire him to maybe get back on the horse a bit and, and start drawing and writing and, and putting out some new stuff. Absolutely. It, by the end, it does make you want to work in that little office. But, yeah, uh, but that's the first act, you know. Yes, you know. Uh, in issue number six, somebody's going to screw something up. It's and the, uh, some paperwork's going to come in or something. And I'm I'm working under the assumption this is continuing. I don't have that info. But I am interested to see what the Stan Lee Analogs book turns out to be. This poor guy who, you know, the industry is built on the back of his work, too. And the people behind his back are like, oh, man, this is going to be terrible. You remember when he did this? Like, oh, have you read those things? You can't get through them. They're horrible. What I would have loved is like, you know, there's some analog to the NHL Guardians. Probably (laughs) the worst, the worst family creation. Do you remember that? I do. Do you remember that? It's not it's no Ravage 2099, but any case, we'll be right back with more of The Last Comic Shop right after these commercial breaks with our ratings for public domain as well as recommendations, so stay tuned. This Halloween, the citizens of Las Brisas do not know it yet, but terror is lurking around the corner. Luckily, the Santos sisters and their friends, Cassie and Vlad from the comic book series Hackslash, 
Mercy Sparks and the Gut Ghost must band together to fight off the forces of darkness and save the day. But can they survive the ultimate Halloween horror? The Santos Sisters and Friends Halloween Special is 48 pages of blood-curdling comics full of tricks and treats that will have you howling as you turn each page. Get your copy today at your local comic shop or at floatingworldcomics.com. <laughs> hey all, I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom. From movies to TV, to video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Alright, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop and it is now time for our ratings. Yes, this is the time of every single show where... I am going to give this book a fair shake. It may have sounded like I was very critical, but that whole Stan Lee character just rubbed me the wrong way. But you know what's not going to rub me the wrong way? It's uh, J.A.'s one out of four scale. Uh, We're going to go one out of four creator's rights. (laughs) You suck! That is the worst sound effect ever. I thought it'd be a cha-ching. People want it to be a cha-ching. It's really a yeah, wasn't. It wasn't. Wah, wah. So in any case, we're going to go ahead and start off with uh, Jay Scott, who I think starting this show kind of liked this book the most. So Jay, what are you giving it? Yeah, I, the, my biggest problem with it, it was that it was too short. It was only five issues. I, I wanted to read more. I wanted to find out what happens. I think it, it is very much just, as we've said, act one of a very interesting story. And I was hoping that part of the whole tropey nature of it was to set up for something that could be a bit more original. So you're using cliches that everyone knows, especially in the industry, or maybe people who don't know the sort of Stan and Jack backlog and then the issue with uh, comics. Maybe they're coming to this through the lens of a an M- being an MCU or a DCEU fan. You need some of that cliche to set everybody, and then you can tell an original story from that point. So I was really looking forward to where he took it from there. So I'm hoping we get more issues. I give it. It's a solid three and a half. Creator's rights. I enjoyed it. The humor was great. The dialogue was great. It was a fun, fast read. I just wanted more. All right, I'll go next. And I'm going to give this slightly lower. I'm going to give this about a (laughs) 2.5. You suck. It was a little bit better than average. And there were parts of it that I I really did enjoy. Mostly the Chipsardisky art. Because to my point before, like... I had really not read a Chip Sardisky book that he drew since Sex Criminals. And this really did, you know, bring back very fond memories of Sex Criminals, which I absolutely adored. Um, it's what made me a Chip fan to begin with. Uh, it's just that it, it was really hard to get over some of the cliche, even with the, the peppy dialogue and the way that it flowed well, I mean, from a narrative perspective, I mean, it, it's not like it just sank like a rock. Like, it, it kept moving. 
And there were some good moments, you know, with uh, the the lawyer that they get, and she's facing down all of the, in essence, the big giant comic book lawyers, and they're like, oh, that's they that they just want to rent a bunch of suits, and that's how they intimidate you. I, I thought that was all good stuff. It's just again, again, I I didn't need that Stan Lee type character. The only way that that Stan Lee character could be redeemed in my mind is that uh, eventually. He admits like that people think he's a joke and that the the reason why he acts the way he does is because like deep down he is kind of insecure about his own place and whether or not he's a real artist. And I mean, there are shades of that son, you know, of being like, I don't want to write comic books, dad. I'm a real writer. Uh, that's the way that Stan Lee fought for decades until he kind of embraced who he was. And I don't even know if he ever did that. But it would have been nice for eventually that character and the artist character to collaborate again. To Jay's point, I wish that that's where the series would eventually go. That maybe they put out their own issues, you know, neither one of them is picture perfect, but then BAM! It smashes together and you get that storybook ending that we should have got from Stan Lee and Jack Kirby instead of getting the awful Fantastic Four cartoon show, which was just bad. Chad. I'm going to be somewhere in the middle because as I'm reading this book, I've been a big Chip Zdarsky fan since I discovered him with Matt Fraction on Sex Criminals. And I followed him to Howard the Duck. And then he started to go from his humorous books to more serious stuff, which it's all good. It's tough for me. At times, I think Zdarsky is great. I really enjoy his public persona. And those early works, when he was working with Matt Fraction, like they were so funny. And there were so many tiny moments and little things that were hidden in there that I just, uh, I thought they were wonderful. They were inventive. One of the funniest and grossest things I've ever seen was that Sex Criminals bonus book that came on uh, Humble Bundle. Oh, just the tips. Oh. <laughs> That, it is, that should be a recommendation right there. Yeah, you will not look at humanity the same way again. But it is hilarious. And uh, yeah, not for the kids in any way, shape, or form. But anyway, and so then I was thinking, like, well, maybe it's the thing, like, when artists work with really great anchors, and you're like, oh, this is my favorite artist, and then they change anchors, like, oh, their stuff's not as good as it was. And like, it's maybe you're a fan of the anchor. Like, I've gone through this with, uh, like, John Byrne. John Byrne, when he was inked by Terry Austin, like, one of the best. John Byrne, when he was inked by uh, other folks, including his own inking, eh, pretty good. You guys know how much I love that Daredevil run with John Romita Jr. And it took me 30 years to realize, like, why is that the best John Romita Jr.'s ever done? Like, why do I love that the most? Like, because John Romita is an artist who's changed and developed over time. And, like, he keeps getting better in theory as an artist, but I've never enjoyed anything more than that Daredevil run. And it's like, wait a minute. He had Al Williamson inking him on that Daredevil run. Maybe that's who I'm a fan of is the Al Williamson, John Romita Jr. combo. And so I'm thinking with Chip Zdarsky, where I used to think he was great, it, it might be the Zdarsky-Matt Fraction combo is where the greatness lies. The rest of it is pretty good. And that's, that's what's going on in, here in public domain. There are parts of this that I'm like, that's hilarious. I love it. But then when it comes down to the nitty gritty, it's, you know, well, there are a lot of cliches here. The art, is it, it's fun. It's you know, Zdarsky's art style's never been my favorite art style. It's a little bit more on the photo Tracy side of things. But it's it's competently done. Like he's a decent artistic storyteller. 
this just falls under the realm of pretty good. Now, in his defense, this is act one of the story. And like uh, Jay and Andy have been doing, we've been projecting out like, oh, what we want to see happen. And you would hope that Zdarsky as a, as a writer, as an artist, blows us all away with something different. You know, as much as we like to predict what's going to happen, like when that's actually the case, like, oh, that's that's horrible. Like, <laughs> you ever go to one of those movies that has a big twist 20 minutes in, you're like, oh, this is what it's going to be. And then, like, that's what it is. Like, no, he has seen dead people the whole time. <laughs> or I, I remember Mystic River was a movie that everyone was like, oh, it's great. It's great. Like, for whatever reason, I stumbled onto whatever the twist was going to be like. And like, no, this is, this is pretty dumb. <laughs> pretty long and boring just watching him run out the string. So I'm hoping Zdarsky's story doesn't run out the string and do what we expect it to do. I'm waiting for him to be great again. I, I don't know if this does it. 3.25. <laughs> You suck. All right. Well, it's now time for recommendations. Yes, this is a part of our show that we always like to give you other comic books in addition to public domain, which you can go to your local comic book shop and pick up. Now collected in a nice trade so you can find it all together if you wish. Uh, Recommendations starting off with J.A. So, J.A., what have you got for us this week? So I'm going to recommend a book that I I'm pretty sure is one of Chad's favorites, uh, and that is Understanding Comics. <gasps> oh, it's mm. not just one of my favorites. It's one of the best ever. By Scott McCloud. Yeah, best ever. Which is about how comics are told in comic book fashion. Yeah, if you if you care about comics at all, you need to read Understanding Comics. And if you have read it before, you need to read it again. Yeah, I think we were going to cover understanding comics on several episodes of the last comic shop. In fact, I thought it was going to be a pick for the year of Chad. It was one of Chad's all time favorites. But then Chad said, no, that's going to make for a boring show. And I was just (laughs) like, "Okay." so so Chad, how can it be a boring show? But such a good book to Jay's point. Well, yeah, I, I think it is very educational in nature and if you love comic books diving into that that book and oh my god how many times did i reference that triangle the the closer you get to the likeness the further you get away from the relatability and all that other stuff but it it can be dry yeah it it goes into sort of you know your it explains what panel gutters are and how do you capture motion in action sequences it's it's right but all done through the medium that it's explaining so it's very meta yeah, if you want to know what the difference is between a comic book and a comic book movie, read that book. It'll explain perfectly and encapsulate, like, how is reading a comic book different from reading a novel versus watching a movie? And what are the different brain processes going on? And what are the different, you know, responsibilities of the artist? And you get things like the page turn. There's so many different aspects to it. I also think it's kind of overwhelming just because it is so informative. Like, I would worry, like, it would take multiple shows. And then instead of it being a, a fun, like, comic book discussion show, it's like, all right, this is comic book class taught by people who haven't made a comic book. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it makes me feel unqualified. It, but it's still a great recommendation, J.A. So I'm fi- I am glad that you finally brought it up as a recommendation officially on The Last Comic Shop. We all agree that if you listen to our show and you enjoy comic books, you should read Understanding Comics. It, required reading in a last comic shop class. Absolutely. 
uh, it'd probably be its own its own course. Now, is it an intro course or is that a a three hundred level? Uh, it's the textbook, whatever it is. Like that's the one. Yeah. Like, we might have you read a couple other short stories, but that's the book we're going to go through each week. You're like, all right, class, today we're going to look at pages 10 through 15. <laughs> it's a survey. It's definitely a survey. It's a 200 level. There you go. Well, well my book is definitely not as intense for this week. and uh, But I think it's one that uh, some folks uh, out there listening might enjoy. Uh, because I, I, I picked it up on a whim and ended up uh, enjoying it quite a lot. It is called Batman... The Imposter, and it comes from Matson Tomlin with art by Andrea Sorrentino. If you were a big fan of the Batman movie done by Matt Reeves, if you like that kind of Batman, that very uber realistic type of Batman, where like you could tell this guy is like he's messed up, he's you know kind of like an emo kid living yeah, a little in bit emo with his eyeliner. Right, so, you know, living in a, a basement, like not really having a lot of tech, just enough to get by, uh, then I think you're going to really uh, latch on to the type of Batman that you get in Batman Imposter. Because on its surface, it is a traditional Batman story that you've probably read before. Uh, the main crux of it is that somebody is pretending to be Batman and unlike Batman, is freaking killing people. Going out there on rooftops and shooting them in the back of the head or pushing them out. And this is like very early in the Batman's career. So like people are still not sure of what Batman is. Like, is this the moment that finally Batman switched over and he's now truly become a violent vigilante to the point where he's committing murder, regardless of whether those criminals did, did terrible things. Uh, that's just kind of like the top layer of a very complex cake. Because again, you get a Batman that like, instead of using a grapple gun, uses a shotgun with a grappling hook in it. That's how he gets around buildings. Instead of having an Alfred that cared about this Batman, it was an Alfred that sent him to a Russian military school because the kid after his parents died was creating homemade bombs with like fertilizer and things it's that type of batman and at the heart of it is actually the character that we don't talk a lot about in batman which is leslie tompkins this is a really great leslie tompkins book where she ends up being really batman's woman in the chair or batman's protector or batman's surrogate parent to say at least and 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 really it's you know it's a batman without commissioner gordon it's a batman that like all the cops hate you know and and all at the same time he's, he's trying to clear his name because there is truly somebody that's put on a batman mask and is doing things that batman doesn't agree with and will he get caught will he not get caught it's i think it's really good so i feel like for those folks that are fans of the new batman especially the matt reeves character you're gonna really like this book chad every comic book fan should have these recommendations on their bookshelves you're gonna need some batman you're gonna need scott mcleod's understanding comics and uh my book i'm gonna recommend uh, one of the pull quotes on the back of the book since it's a grand tour through the history of american comics done with the wit and charm uh the comic book history of comics belongs on your bookshelf next to scott mcleod's understanding comics it's excellent 
It also has quotes from people like Matt Fraction, who we brought up in this show. Uh, Brian Cronin from uh, CBR, who we've uh, referenced before. Kurt Busick recommends this book. It is The Comic Book History of Comics by Fred Valente and Ryan Dunleavy. And we have probably recommended this book before in the past. But Public Domain is probably not the best story for beginners in comics. Just because a lot of the things that are being alluded to and referenced, if you know the history behind it, you know it helps you to unlock some of those cliche things that made Andy real angry earlier. But uh, the comic book history of comics is one of the best ways to get that history in comic book form. Fred Van Lente, similar to uh, uh, Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky, is somebody who knows how to write with pathos and charm and wit. You know, he's super funny, but he also knows a tragedy when he sees it. And the main character in the comic book history of comics, because he's pretty much a main character throughout the history of American comics, is Jack Kirby. And you see him in his Captain America days when he was working with Joe Simon and how they get hosed there. And then you see him in the early Marvel days working with Stan Lee and how he gets hosed there. And then you see him when he goes to DC and creates the new gods in the fourth world and how he gets hosed there. And then you see him after that, when he goes back to Marvel for another hosing there and you see all the business decisions that he's making. uh, And that's kind of like the through line throughout the course of this book. But uh, to truly get the public domain, I think uh, having a grasp on uh, what came before, what the history of the comic book industry is, is something I highly recommend. And this book is is one of the best to do that. So the comic book history of comics by Fred Van Lente and Ryan Dunleavy. It's it's tons of fun. There you go. And if you are one of those last comic shop listeners that goes out and picks up uh, the comic book history of comics, make sure that you also then pick up the comic book history of animation. <laughs> which was one of the episodes of The Last Comic Shop that you can find out on our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. We covered that book. And if you rate, review, and subscribe, you can go through the myriad of other comic books that we've covered. Everything from Public Domain to Swamp Thing to uh, Ronin to, oh gosh, uh, Mr. Miracle. One Piece, everything is out there. All evergreen, almost 150 shows to this point. Uh, We hope that you not only download one, but download two, three, five, ten, fifteen. The whole back catalog. You're welcome to come back to the shop anytime you like. So with that said, you want to find more uh, from the Last Comic Shop podcast and, and all of what we do. You can always find us on social media. Uh, we're out there at Last Comic Shop on your X's, on your Instagrams. Do we still have Mastodon, or has has fur mottled on Mastodon? <laughs> yeah, we. That may I think it's become a fossil. Uh, all that stuff's out there. Worst case scenario, you can always go back to the home base, which is www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com, where they can find what else, JA. Well, they got uh, links to our merch store, and, and when you're saying if they want to contact us, if you're a rich tech billionaire who wants to invest in a a new podcast studio for us please slide into our dms (laughs) that sounds so dirty slide into my dms it still does i'm so old i didn't know what substack was what you're never too old for is (laughs) t-shirts yes get one from our merch store you are never too old for clothes (laughs) unless you've decided to just give it up 
You're a, you're a crazy old man running around and nothing out on your front lawn. We hope you aren't, but we, we, we still love you here at The Last Comic Shop. You can stop by if you want. And come back next week to The Last Comic Shop. We're going to have more awesomeness just for you. The Marvels movie drops next week. So be here for not only a review of the comic book featuring Ms. Marvel and Carol Danvers and all that wonderful stuff, but also our review of said movie. <laughs> Any case, I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith and Jay Scott, and we hope that you stay safe. Stay tuned for more episodes because they're going to come. And remember that if you collect candy canes, make sure you keep them in mint condition. You know, they make all kinds of candy canes. They're like those Reese's peanut butter cups. They've got all the different flavors now. Comic Shop was a 2023 Black Anders production.